Hi, welcome to Your Cron, short for Your Chronicles. I'm your host, Scott Pitney. Your Cron is a podcast where we chronicle ordinary people and their extraordinary stories. We refer to ordinary people on this show as people who are non-celebrities. Our goal is simple, entertain our audience and perhaps even inspire and educate. At the same time, our guests build a part of their legacy through this unique audio opportunity. So let's get right to our next extraordinary story. I've been very excited to host our next guest who is with us in our brand new studio for this recording. Lakeisha Wright, a.k.a. Q, is the founder and managing partner of Q Social Media Limited. As a computer science major and business management minor at Texas A&M University, Q worked diligently to earn over $60,000 in scholarships to completely pay for her education and was able to achieve cum laude status from the university's prestigious College of Engineering. Prior to starting her social media management firm, Q was a senior management consultant for Cap Gemini Ernst & Young and an IT project manager for Continental Airlines and Boardwalk Pipelines. She designed and implemented multi-million dollar web-based systems that allowed companies to automate their mission-critical processes and reduce operating costs. Q Social Media is a social media management firm that specializes in increasing fan engagement and for over 11 years represents or has represented many celebrities from both TV and major film productions, charities, and businesses. Learn more about Q and her firm via the LA Times, WeWork, Refinery29, and Fortune. Q, welcome to your cron. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for being here. I am so excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Ah, absolutely. So where is a good place to start your extraordinary story? Oh my gosh, where's a good place? Well, I've always been a techie geek ever since I was a kid. <laughs> Um, which definitely helps me now because I'm not afraid of the technology. I, I love the change to it. So I was an eight-year-old taking computer classes in the summer at Texas Southern University um, to take up my time. Um, and I took tennis also <laughs> in the summer heat in Houston. Um, but my favorite thing definitely has always been technology ever since I was honestly in the fifth grade when the, the Challenger exploded um, and we had Krista McCullough on it. So we were all watching it. And that's really what started me on this path was just I wanted to build systems that hopefully made that never happen again. So that's that started my desire to go into the computer science kind of direction. And then I had an incredible cousin who went to Texas A&M as an engineer. She was my idol. So that's the only place I applied to. And, and that's where I ended up going um, and got a really great education and and, um, and then I became a management consultant right out of there. And that started everything. So Such a young age to already know yeah. what you want to do at what, yeah. 10 years old, fifth grade? Eight years old. Yeah, yeah. Old, yeah. yeah. Well, you're right. You're right. Even So that was at 10. You're totally right. Um, but even at eight, I knew I loved technology. So that was when I started taking the computer classes. It didn't focus until that happened in fifth grade. And so that was very life changing for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you still play tennis? I do not. <laughs> you had yeah. enough of the heat. Yeah. Really, honestly, a lot of the classes got canceled because they had an 80-year-old professor teaching the tennis class in Houston Heat. Did not go well. So, But my dad loved tennis, and so I haven't played in a really long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good. So um, how did graduating cum laude mm -hmm. and paying your way through school with scholarships contribute to who you are mm -hmm. and where you are in your career today. It taught me how to stay focused and work really hard. I mean, the College of Engineering is difficult as it is, all the calculuses that you have to take. Thankfully, I had this amazing crew of friends. Um, a lot of them were engineers. Um, I, my, my roommate was an accountant. Even though we weren't necessarily all in the same major, we were all really focused. So we kind of actually missed out on the fun part of college. Um, but I had to keep a 3-5 in a very difficult college in order to keep the scholarships that I needed um, because we didn't. I didn't grow up rich. You know, there was no money just 
handed to me. But thankfully, I did really well in school. And at the time, there were just a lot of scholarships available, but you had to keep grades up. And so that just really taught me to, you know, work hard and stick through it. And honestly, the best lesson I learned was my first semester, um, I made, I think I might have gotten one B and the rest were A's. So I just had a really strong GPA. And from then on, companies actually started following my progress. Um, And so that was extremely helpful in me getting like my first internships, which was huge as far as, you know, helping me through college, not only making money, but understanding what I wanted to focus on, what I did and didn't want to do. It took me out of the state because I interned, three of my internships were with General Electric in New York. Um, And so it, um, most of the people in my family kind of stayed very close to home. And so that gave me exposure to something outside of Texas, which was really, really great. But it definitely made me focus. And just, I think the first, after the first semester, when there was a career fair, I always like to try to do something a little different. So I had business cards made and I handed them out at the career fair and it had my information on it and it had my GPA and my major. And so that kind of stuck out in people's minds like, okay, this kid's different. I'm a freshman, <laughs> you know, and doing Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So you're already marketing. Yeah. And I didn't even know, didn't know <laughs> what marketing was because that wasn't my major. Um, but yeah, you're right. I was already, I already knew I started to feel out what I felt other people was important to know, to catch people's attention and to realize that I was serious. I'm just a freshman, but I'm not playing. <laughs> and when I started school, I honestly, I think I only had one scholarship um, and it was, I had taken out one small loan and I didn't have enough scholarships to cover everything. And what I learned in that beginning was that you shouldn't give up. Like once I had that strong first semester, the college of engineering started to let me know about other scholarships that were available. And so I got to that 60,000 pretty much while in college, because there were additional scholarships that were found as my grades continued to be strong. And then people wanted to put more money behind me. Um, the company I ended up working for actually, after college, um, they started following me my freshman year and taking me to events and exposing me to their company. But I was interning with General Electric for most of my career. I think I started with Marathon Oil on my first internship, and then everything else was was GE. GE had this incredible program that just really showed you what was possible. It was an information management systems kind of program that you were, they paid for your housing. They flew me to New York. I had a rental car that they gave us all summer long. We got a great salary. So I was living like a a professional adult each summer and seeing the potential behind if you keep working, this is just the beginning. They even I think there was I can't remember the name of the facility, but where they took all their management people, it was like soft robes and beautiful rooms and like we're these college kids, you know, that are coming to be an intern. I know, right? And I'm like, no, see, this is what happens when you work hard and people people want to show you what's possible. So I do feel extremely blessed that like I've because I've like there was always a reward behind the hard work and it just kept showing me what I could earn if I just kept along this path and engineering was just it was stressful (laughs) and it was so hard and I could not wait till I finished calculus three you know like it was just you know um, and sometimes you got good professors and sometimes you didn't and sometimes you got crazy professors but I was serious about my grades (laughs) were you a pretty good student in high school did you have a good foundation going in I did I really did again I was really lucky to have a good crew of friends that all of us were overachieving honors kids you know from for forever, honestly, even elementary school. Like I was, I was that kid. Like I, I always worked really hard. Grades were really important to me. It was how I took pride in myself. And so it was just always, no matter what grade I was in, um, for me to have a good relationship with my teachers. I mean, you could call it teacher's pet or whatever you want to call it. I wasn't like a brown nose or anything, but I definitely, I was a good kid. I was respectful. I really wanted to work hard. I always wanted to do well. And teachers responded to that well, because I wanted to be there. And I, I was the kid who took home the extra worksheets at the end of the year to do them in the summers because my parents worked nights. They worked for the post office, worked really hard, retired from there. Um, and because they worked nights, we couldn't go out during the day. So I needed things to do in the house. So for me, it was about reading. It was about doing you know, the math worksheets. It was about creating my own entire creative world inside, you know, inside of our house because I couldn't go outside until my parents, you know, woke up. And so that was just me as a kid, just, you know, working hard to learn something because I enjoyed it. Where 
did that work ethic come from? Did it come from your parents? Was it genetic? Was it a little bit of both? Or definitely feel like um, it was definitely built in genetics. My mom, really, really hard worker, worked her way up in the post office to where she ended up before she retired. She was a postmaster of, uh, I think in Rosenberg. And then, um, my, my real dad also, and my, my stepdad too, he worked really hard. It just different. Like he was, my stepdad was more the person, like he went to work, he worked really hard, but he was okay with leaving work at work. My mom was like, you know, she worked really hard at home on work, even when she wasn't at work. And then she also worked really hard to be a good mom and, and do all the things. So it was just, a, it was just different, you know, uh, my mom loved technology and that's where I get my love of technology, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then my real dad, like very much workaholic, <laughs> um, worked really hard, um, kind of situation too. And he was really good at math. And so I kind of got that from him. And, and I remember like the one thing I remember learning from my, from my real dad was just that you know, no matter how, you know, attractive or pretty or whatever, being smart, they can never take that away from you. That's the thing that you, that will always carry you. And so that was always really important to me. It was like, whatever's on the exterior, that's temporary. Um, but if I can, you know, be smart and, and keep that and people respect me for that, I feel like that's what's going to truly take me farther, no matter if I'm eight or I'm 80 yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. Were, were there any life lesson takeaways from your parents that kind of stand out to you? I think definitely just in general, you know, my, both of my parents were really God fearing. It's, it was about being a good person, you know, kind of thing. And I think ultimately that's really important being a trustworthy person, someone that they, that people can count on. And I do feel like in my current career very much because I am the voice or I help people to have their voice online. They, they trust what I'm doing. They trust that I'm not going to do anything crazy. And I think that that is, um, you know, being respectful and trustworthy were two very, very important things that they taught me growing up. Yeah. So take us back to Texas girl goes to New York. Mm -hmm. Had you ever traveled before that time, been out of the state or? I don't think I had left the state because most of our family, other than maybe for a family vacation to California, which we drove across states. um, No, I never, I never left the state. Oh, well, no, maybe one other time I left the state on, I was part of a teen group growing up. um, And I think we left, and I can't remember what state it was, maybe Georgia or something that we went to a conference. And so I got on my first flight, which had this humongous drop. So it had me fearful of flying for a very long time. And I didn't fly for a long time after that. Our family vacations were always driving. So Mm. that I didn't have a lot of exposure to flying until I flew at like 16. That was the first time that I flew. So when I went to New York, that was definitely the farthest away that I had ever been. Like my parents were very overprotective. And so I didn't really, you know, go anywhere without them. Um, And so that was the it was definitely an experience that I needed. Like I needed more street smarts. <laughs> I did not have that. <laughs> that's, that's a good place to get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, it was, Oh my God, the stories. I mean, I had a situation, um, in the, where we were in a great location because we were actually in the Albany Schenectady area. GE was first, their first plant was in Schenectady and that's where, uh, and then they had the research and development facility in this unit. So it was a very like small, you know, area. And, but, it was in just a few hours from Boston, just a few hours from New York City, just a few hours from Montreal. We went to Rochester, like when we go on road trips on the weekends. So that was great. But I'm again, this naive little Texas girl. And so we went to New York for the first time. And it's just, you know, all of us trouncing around the city. I get on the subway for the first time and I'm sitting in the middle and the doors are on, you know, two sides. And so one, I'm in the middle. So half the group gets up and goes out one door. The other half of the group gets out and goes out another door. I took too long to get up and the doors closed. Oh. Yeah. And I'm the only one, you know, on the subway. And then it's like, oh, what do you do? Like, do you stay in one spot? Do you go to the next stop? You don't know where they went. You don't know if they're going to come back and get you. Like, so they ended up, I think they sent half the crew back to try to get me half the crew to stay at the next thing to try to save me. Because prior to that, when we entered the subway, I literally pulled out all my money and I'm walking down the street and I just have it in my hand. And this guy who was from New York was like, what are you doing? Like, what? 
you're on a New York street. Why would you just like have your money in your hand? Because I'm from Texas. Right. And everybody's nice and nobody will take my money, you know? And so it was just, I needed to get out of my bubble so that I could learn how to be a fully independent human being that wasn't going to get killed on the streets of New York. (laughs) So I feel very appreciative of being able to do that on someone else's dime, you know, being able to travel the world and, and do these things on, um, for work, which is something that I've always loved. I, I get a lot of pride out of work and what I do. So be able to do that and then have all these amazing experiences. Um, in New York, at one point, we were staying all, they'd arranged for us to stay like in a hotel because I was there for multiple summers and each summer the living accommodations were a little bit different. Sometimes it was staying in apartments that they had gotten for us. One time it was a hotel. And so you took a little bit of your money out of your salary to pay for this hotel, but you had no kitchen, so you couldn't cook. So it was a bunch of interns, which was really fun, but you just, you saw how quickly your money was going. So we decided that summer to end up renting a frat house um, and like eight of us stayed in this frat house and it was hilarious because when we went to look at the frat house the guys most of the guys had left for the summer and they had this dog that they had and the dog had gotten a hold of some alcohol right before we got there and <laughs> got sick on the floor in front of us. I'm like, oh my God, this place is so dirty, you know, and I'm like cleanly, you know, and I'm like, and so we walk in the bathroom and I'm like, there's no way, like I cannot stay here. It was literally all sorts of different colors that it wasn't supposed to be. And so I was like, okay, we're going to do this. I will pay for it, but I need a housekeeper to come in and like sterilize the place. <laughs> And they were like, okay, if you're willing to pay for it. I'm like, yes, because I can't use it otherwise, like any of it. So we did that and then had just the best time. It was the house that everybody, all the interns who didn't even live there, you know, would come over and hang out. And um, and we all worked really hard and we learned so much. And GE had the most incredible programs. Like I will tell anyone, interning is literally the best thing in the world. Again, to figure out what you do want to do, but even more importantly, figure out what you don't want to do moving forward before you really have to stick to it. <laughs> so yeah. it was great. I was an intern as well through college, and I can't mm-hmm. imagine any other way. Just, right? I, you know, as a senior, watching my, all my friends scramble for jobs and going for these interviews yeah. and everything, it was so nice to know I had a place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, told that too. And I actually yeah. knew, and to mm-hmm. your point, I actually knew that's not what I wanted to do a long time. Right. But I had a career. Right. And I knew that mm-hmm. that could catapult me to some other things I wanted to do. After so. all the hard work of school. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a, a couple circle uh, back around uh, mm-hmm. questions. Uh, First of all, the dog. Yes, Lord. <laughs> so mm-hmm. this is a fraternity dog. Mm-hmm. Learn how to party, obviously. By <laughs> okay, so did the dog hang around, uh, stay with you? Yeah, I think he was there the whole summer because the two guys that were actually staying in one of the rooms in the house they kept the dog. So yeah, okay, yeah, okay. and the dog was fine. We yeah, after that, but that was not fun. <laughs> and what year? Is this approximately... Oh, maybe like 93, 94. So early, early to mid-90s. Yeah. I was trying to think, is, is Jack Welsh is running yes. the company. Yes. Yep. What, uh, mm-hmm. what was notable that you remember about his influence in the company at the time? I just, it was so well run. I mean, it was just, there was a heart to the company. I don't, I can't speak to it, what it is now, but they had the most incredible internship programs. Like I, yes, it was cool that they offered us all these, the accoutrement, you know, I mean the rental, you know, having a place to live in the cars and whatever, but you learned like it was a very well-established program. Whereas my first internship was with a local oil company here. They hadn't had an intern in in years, so they didn't know what to do with me. So I was like falling asleep at my desk. I'm someone who I want a purpose. I want to learn. I'm there to do something. People are like, just get a paycheck and, you know, and then leave every day. And I'm like, that's not who I am. Like I'm here to learn. So GE had it down every summer. It never felt repetitive. There was always something different because you were at each summer, you're assigned to different groups and different things. And you had ownership of something that was real. And so I just feel like in general, not only the intern program, but just the employees that work there, they loved it and they wanted to stay there forever. And so it was hard for me to not Except the position that I was offered, but I knew that I don't do well in the cold and I just, it just wasn't. And I got married my last year of college. So I had my, all my family was here. And then I had Ernst and Young that, um, which turned into Capgemini, Ernst and Young that had been following me the whole time. So they put in a really great offer that allowed me to stay at home and do like Java programming, which was what I wanted to do. And, um, so they kind of made an offer that I couldn't refuse because it had everything that I wanted. If it weren't for the cold or the fact that Mm -hmm. your family was here, 
where would New York be on your uh, places to possibly live? Did you like living there? Um, I like being there in the summers. Um, I, I honestly, I think I'm more of a California Southern girl than I am a New York kind of person. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately... I know I made the right decision, um, but I'm happy that I get to visit it for when I work now. Like I go there now a lot, actually, for press junkets and things like that. But I'm definitely not someone who would want to live there. I don't think it's just not really my speed. It's it's a great city. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I've been there a half a dozen times, and I'm kind of thought at times I wouldn't mind living there a long time just to be entrenched in it Mm -hmm. for a while, Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, not long term. Yeah. I love the, I love the culture that's in the city. I love the sub, like now I've learned (laughs) the subways (laughs) and not to, you know, fan my money out. Um, I love Brooklyn. Like I have friends that stay in different areas and I, I go there like just for like the weekend to go hang out with friends and things like that. So I I do love the city, but just living there. No, I can't get over the cost of living. Honestly, we've been so spoiled living here. Um, so it's hard for me to get through. I'm, I'm probably, I'm pretty frugal with my money. So. Yeah. It is, it is uh, a lot of money to live. Yeah. In a lot mm-hmm. of money. So how did you make the jump from it to social media? You know, honestly, they're still kind of in the same realm because it's technology. I think obviously social media didn't exist when I you know, majored in computer science in school. But I truly feel that social media is just using tech to help people communicate better. And so I when I was in at AM, you had to have a minor in computer science also. So instead of minoring in like computer engineering, whereas a lot of computer science majors did computer engineering because they wanted both the software side and the hardware side. I knew I had no interest in the hardware side, but I did have interest in communicating in in the business world and being better on that side. So my minor was actually business management. So again, there were more, there were classes that you had group projects, you had, like, it just taught you better to function in the, in the business world. So I'm grateful that I did that connection and it made being a management consultant later an easier job because I'd already kind of had both sides of the fence. Um, so, so yeah, as far as the transition between the two, I never really felt like it was a transition. It was just, I, I found this side of me. I always liked people. I was always one of the rare computer science people that didn't just want to talk to computers. And so it was just an extension of myself. I love tech and I love people. And social just kind of came naturally to me, whatever the pieces are. And and as I got better at understanding marketing and, and how do you, I feel like I have in my core, just a good intuition, um, about people and reading people. And so it was just kind of using those God-given skills with all the tech love that I've always had since I was a kid. Yeah. So I don't think I really transitioned. It's it. It's I mean, you, every day I have to understand what's new on the tools. How do we properly use it? And then connecting it to the people side, you know? Yeah. Just it's kind of a, a medium and, and you just understand yeah. the details of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, and I guess the reason why I even found it. So I was obviously in the corporate space and then um, I was working for Continental Airlines when 9-11 happened. And so at that point, when the airline industry started to tank, there was always this risk of you getting laid off because of that. And Continental, like a lot of the other airlines, had a lot of layoffs. Well, I was lucky because um, I had actually been working on a cost saving system. So they I got to hang around, even though I was, you know, the last second to last to be hired. Um, But it made me aware of that awful feeling of someone being able to tap you on your shoulder. So that's when I actually started. um, And this was 91, 2001. Sorry. When when 9-11 happened in 2001. Um, That's when I started my first business. So I taught myself web design. Um, so I didn't just jump to social media. There was definitely an evolution. So I was an IT project manager for Continental. And then I taught myself the web design side so that I could start a business on the side and make sure that I had the ability to have something to fall back on in case something happened. So it just, you know, made me more comfortable <laughs> in my skin that if I, I knew that there was something. And so that built up very quickly to where I was working like 80 hours a week. And at the time I was married and my ex was like, you've got to pick because you're working like all these hours and it's crazy. And I'm like, okay, well, were, um, were you doing this on the side? Yeah. Or, okay. Totally on the side. So okay. like 40, it was hours, 40 hours a week yeah. and then 40 hours a week, yeah. you know, on both sides. Wow. And that's a lot, you know, yeah. but I am a hard worker, so I don't mind doing the work. Yeah. Um, and I, I, he probably realized even more than I realized, like how crazy I was working. Mm-hmm. But I, when I found out 
the whole entrepreneurial world, when I started to live in it, I realized that that was the most comfortable I'd ever been in a, in a workspace. And so that's when I, you know, kind of realized who I really was and that that was where I needed to go. What part about it, um, did you like the most at the beginning? Was it just the, mm-hmm. the, you mentioned that being tapped on the shoulder, yeah. uh, was it that, uh, just having a level of comfort of control of your career or were there some mm-hmm. other things that you liked about it? I liked being a boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I was like, wait a minute. Like I get to choose how much I get paid. I don't have to beg someone for a raise. Like, what is that? You know, um, just having the control over if I need to fire a client, I can fire a client if I don't like them. Like I'm the one doing the firing. It just gave me my power back, honestly, which I was very distressed the day that layoffs happened at at Continental. And they knew, we knew it was coming. We didn't know who was going to get let go. And when my boss finally ran around and said, if you're still here, then you're here. Like I literally burst into tears and I had to run to the bathroom. It was so stressful. Like I'd never been that stressed out in my entire life. And that's what, you know, I should be grateful for that because that's what put me in the direction to say, what can I do to not feel that stress? You know, and that's what I found was, okay, start your own thing. And that way you have something to, cause right before that, um, that same year had been, um, Enron. So there were a ton of very qualified it people on the market trying to find a job. If I had been let go would have been difficult. And so that whole thing was just too much, you know? Um, and so being an entrepreneur gave me my power back. And once I got a hold of that power, it was hard to let go of it unless I had to, (laughs) you know? Um, and so eventually I did, you know, decide to leave and I picked myself over everything and, and I was making money and it was working and I had one child already. Um, and then I had my second child while I was running my business, which was great because I was able to like be home and spend more time with him. And then when he was 10 months old, he got diagnosed with type one diabetes, which I am very grateful that I was working from home when that happened, because number one, it helped me to notice the symptoms much more quickly than I think I would have noticed had he been in daycare. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it allowed me to immerse myself in what I needed to, because that's a life changing scenario that you have to just, I knew I went, you know, from knowing nothing about diabetes to he was in the hospital for four days. We couldn't leave there without learning how to give him shots and understand what to to do with his insulin and food. And he's 10 months old. He can't even talk. And that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. But I feel like my whole life had prepared me for it because I work hard. I'm type A. It's a disease you have to stay on top of. Like, um, and you just you and I'm a good learner. And I had to learn everything um, with with his dad. Um, And so that was tough. But I was also like the main breadwinner in the household. And when you're running a business and you can't now he's diabetic, he can't go to daycare. He has to, because there has to be a nurse present. Mm. So he couldn't go back to a school until he went to traditional fifth grade, until he went to kindergarten, Mm -hmm. um, where there was an actual nurse at the school. So that meant I have to keep him home with me and that's hard to do, or someone has to be home with him. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to do when you're also trying to have meetings and running a business. So for a year, I engrossed myself in everything diabetes with him. And then I ended up going back into corporate America, but I kept doing the social media on the side because honestly, I loved it. Like that was the thing that I would do for free. And for a little while I did because while I was learning it and until it had value, (laughs) you know, like I didn't even know what to charge for it because it didn't exist as a career path ever, you know, kind (laughs) of thing. Um, So I just kept doing this thing that I loved. And it was the whole situation with my son that even led me to it because I literally only left the house after he got diagnosed for his doctor's appointments. I, there was no life outside of diabetes and in my child, cause you have to test them like eight times a day. You're getting up in the middle of the night and you're testing, you're having to count carbs with the food, figure out how much insulin as they grow. It's a different amount. Like it's just, it's math all day long. And, um, and so I literally, um, you know, went to a movie to, like five or six months after he got diagnosed just to have two hours to myself. Mm -hmm. And there were actors in this movie. And I started to go online to figure out what else have these actors been in? Because I want to see their other movies. Like this dance movie just made me really happy, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. And I real I expected for them to have like an official presence online and they didn't. And that was very surprising to me. So I was, but what I did find were 
fan sites that were like Google blogspots and MySpace pages that were run by fans. And it was, you know, not necessarily reliable things. Um, but then also I found Variety and the Hollywood Reporter and it was talking about projects and what was going on. I'm like, oh, this is fun. Like, this is interesting. And why don't they have an official presence? Because I really don't want to, you know, get information from this 13 year old blog. Like <laughs> I, really, <laughs> I really would rather a reliable source, you know, to, to know what other projects are they doing and what's going on. And so it just kind of catapulted me into this world that I didn't know anything about. And that wasn't, thank God, about diabetes because I had to live that every day. And I didn't really need more of that because I had plenty. So it served as an escape. It was. It was this huge escape. Um, And so, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no. So like a bunch of months later, um, I... um, when that particular movie that I had seen came out on DVD, I was watching the extras because I loved it that much. I rarely buy like stuff on DVD, but that one I was like, I'm going to get it because that movie makes me happy. I'm going to, and, um, and I really started to feel like, Oh my God, these actors, like they seem like the coolest people. <laughs> so, so that, that's when I really started, I use my search engine optimization skills, um, to see, Oh my God, there's so many people looking for information on them, but they don't have this official presence. And if, so I wanted to test out, you know, how do you do social media? Like, how do you wrangle a fan base? How do you keep them interested? How do you, you know, that whole process of just informing people on an ongoing basis, this whole blogging thing that's new at the time, you know, and all this. And what, what, sorry, mm-hmm. what, what year is this? This is 2006 when I saw the movie, 2007 when I decided to take a step into the blogging world. Everything's just starting off. Yeah, media. totally starting off. Yeah. And so it's all the wild, wild west. Yes. And no one necessarily knows what they're doing. They're just doing things. Right. You know, um, and so that's what I, I started. I created a community around those, you know, actors and what they were currently doing. And but I wrote it from the perspective of an adult who's type A, who's really just trying to inform people about what's going on in their careers and be consist- consistent about it and and then just see what happens. So within a month, I had over 30,000 visitors to this Google blog spot that I had created and this, this MySpace page, we were getting consistent visitors. So where were you getting your information and did you reference Mm. and you referenced your, your information and you're, you're creating in four weeks created this huge following. Yeah. And you kind of went, Huh, I'm on to something. <laughs> mm, I would say so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really, because I'm a numbers person. I mean, yeah. I, re- I come from the analytics side. I don't come from the creative side, but I did take like art in high school. Like, I, so I do have a creative side. I did speech and debate, but I did the prose and poetry side of it. Like, mm. so I've kind of always had that soft side to me mm-hmm. to balance out the analytical side. Mm. Um, so I guess none of this completely surprises me, but, you know, this is how it manifested. Um, and so, yeah, when you have 30,000 visitors to anything in a month's period of time, you really that, okay, I'm doing something. I, I, I met a need in the market that these 13 year olds, you know, <laughs> blogs are not meeting. <laughs> so, all right, let me keep doing this. And then you just start to form this community that you like people are, you know, they're coming to your site every day because I, that was my goal was that I'm going to post something every day, whether there's news or not. So it, I started doing like throwbacks, <laughs> you know, and grabbing old photos of like when this person was modeling or when this person was dancing or like whatever it was. And so every Every day I had enough to where I could do at least one post every day. So that gave you consistency. People knew to keep coming back, you know, and then they could trust the information because I tried to get it from good sources, you know, from what I could tell. Um, And then about eight months down the road, I was contacted from someone in one of the actor's camps um, thanking me for what I've been doing. And then the actor contacted me and then said, hey, you know, could what you have been doing become my official presence? And of course, I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm in my jammies in Houston. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's um, great. It was just ridiculous and didn't make any sense whatsoever. But I think it kind of made me realize that I clearly was on something and on a path. And by that point, I had had hundreds of thousands of visitors, you know, to the site. Um, and that just had consistently kept growing. And I just kept doing what I was doing. And and it was honestly, it, it saved me. It was, I lived this diabetes every day. I lived my normal life every day. And this was my escape. And it was so much fun. And I, and I realized that it was just something that I literally, I was doing it for free. 
And it didn't matter. Like there was nothing I think I had ever done for free and not thought, oh, how can I make something out of this? This was just please let me do this. <laughs> you know, please don't be like upset with whatever, anything that I'm doing as so that it might actually go away because, whoa, my God, what would I do? This is so fun to me kind of thing. So. Well, at that time, Q, were there, was there any advertising going on in, in what you were doing? Were there, um, yeah, I, and banner I, ads and things like that. Yes, because okay. I think you, I think you don't have a choice necessarily with banner ads because it's Google Blogspot because that's part of the way how they made their money because they're offering you the platform for free. Gotcha. But then also, I, um, my business mind eventually started kicking in for sure. Where um, I had. Uh, what was it? Oh, because Amazon, you could become one of their partners. And then like if it was DVDs or whatever, you found related products that you could then display on the side of your blog. Mm -hmm. And then, but that, I mean, it literally makes sense. But still at the time, that was the thing that you did was that you found related products. So that's what I did. So it was like the people's movies or whatever it was. And then you got like pennies if someone bought something. Wow. Um, but the platforms were all free. So it wasn't like it was costing me anything. So it wasn't that important that I made anything off of it. And that honestly never mattered to me. I really just enjoyed the fact that I was providing a service to people. I'm so Virgo. Like we, we love <laughs> servicing the world and helping people. And so I just felt a huge, um, sense of value in that. I was offering something that entertained people. So, so you have your first client. Yeah. How long did it take till somebody else noticed, mm. um, that first client, when studios decided that the efforts that I was making was actually like positively impacting their conversation around their projects and their bottom line, um, that's things started to take a shift in, Hmm, this thing that she's doing, like it makes sense. It could help us to make more money <laughs> in mm. our movies. And so then other people, because of like, that initial client was in a movie for my next client who his team took notice of what I was doing. And then when that, that next person decided that they needed someone, they came to me because I was kind of, there's not a lot of people doing what I'm doing. Sure. And they knew me from how I helped that movie succeed. Um, and then those two clients were at the same agency. The agency started realizing how I was helping their clients be more successful. So they sent me my next client. And so from that's how I get my clients. It's, it's word of mouth. It's I've been doing this for long enough that people trust me. So I get them from other clients, which is always great referral. Um, I get them from the agencies, from the PR agencies, uh, from the managers, because social has been become such an integral part of the marketing and the PR process. And there's so much asked of clients now that just having one person, at least to the very least coordinate all the requests and make sure everything goes out when it's supposed to. And that kind of thing has become really important. Um, but but yeah, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, they send me clients because people will, studios will come to them and be like, oh my gosh, okay, we have this celebrity. We want to, you know, get verified. Do you know anyone that can actually help with the maintenance, you know, of it? And, and I built up a good enough reputation with all those platforms that they feel comfortable sending people in my direction, at least to have that conversation initially. How long after you started that blog did Twitter and all the, the big social media platforms come into play? As far as like when I started having conversations with them yes. or they started paying, oh my gosh, I can't even remember. Yeah. It was a few years in yeah. Um, because most of my initial connections were either directly with my client or with the studios. Mm. And then eventually, uh, probably like maybe 2011, 2012. So it wasn't right away at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember there was kind of a cool evolution where uh, movie studios started taking their press tours to like in San Francisco mm -hmm. to like Twitter mm -hmm. directly to Facebook. And that was part of the press tour. And then you would have like a Q and a or something there mm -hmm. that might be publicized, you know, on social. Um, and so it, that was definitely a moment where, you know, really realized like, Oh, now there's a social media tour associated with the regular PR tour. Like it's becoming that in, ingrained, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the process. And yeah, that was probably about 2012 ish when mm -hmm. that first started really, really happening. And the movie that I was working on at the time with the client that I was working on, it was the, I believe it was like the first time that someone actually did that kind of social media tour. So it's been neat to be a part of 
the beginnings of all these things and being able to just make up what I think things are. But then there's numbers behind it because it creates real conversation and authentic you know, mm. conversation. And, and that's really what everybody wants. And social honestly ends up being one of the least expensive. When you think about the money that's spent on PR and marketing and you look at the little, you know, um, on what's spent on a social media manager or just helping the talent, helping you to amplify, you know, something that's probably the least expensive thing, you know, in the, in the marketing process, whereas the paid ads on Facebook and, and that kind of thing, that's huge budgets, you know, mm-hmm. around that. Mm-hmm. But I more focus on the organic side, mm-hmm. the, the real conversations, the direct connection with the, with the fans. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's very different. So you tend to have like, you know, people, two different sets of people that handle those two different sides. Cause it's, even though you're creating posts and you're creating content, it's, it's different yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's a different strategy on both sides. So you're a very hard worker and there's yeah. always a point, uh, where an entrepreneur becomes at max capacity. Yeah. And is this something that you feel you can duplicate yourself to some extent, or at least delegate some of the things to, to have a life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's life. What is that? Um, um, yeah, no, uh, years ago I, I brought in, I started bringing in, uh, other freelancers and other people to help. And mm-hmm. I do, so I do have a team that's behind me, but I purposely, I love what I do honestly. Mm. And I keep a small team and everything funnels through me. And people are always asking me like, Oh, but you should scale and you should do this. But part of why I feel I'm successful in what I do is because of the connection that I actually have with my clients. Like Mm. I know all my clients, I, I get to know them as a person so that I can do a better job, you know, for them, helping them navigate the social space. And, you know, so I purposely don't take on more than 10 clients at a time. I, Mm. and that's, that's a very, like, I could have had 40 clients at this point and added on 52 people, but adding on more people doesn't necessarily make you a better company. It just makes you a bigger company. And I was always worried about losing that control of quality, Mm -hmm. which is extremely, extremely important to me. And part of the reason why the big reason why people hire me is because me. So even when I've tried to like maybe bring on a client and have one of my people be their main contact, it's never worked out. It always ends up funneling through me because people are hiring Q. And at the end of the day, I would love to have a business that I could set it and forget it. But I honestly don't even know if that's in my DNA. Like, that's just not it. It's not. (laughs) Sadly, (laughs) I could use a vacation. Um, Speaking of vacation, like one of the big ones that I went on, like I went to Croatia and I had two hotspots on a boat that I was on in Croatia (laughs) (laughs) because I had two clients at Comic-Con. Like I still had to keep working, but I was in Croatia. So cool. (laughs) You know, worst places to be. It really is. I felt very blessed, honestly, (laughs) in that moment. So, so how, have you had that experience where somebody approaches you and you would really like to take them out on a supply? I mean, how do you gently let somebody down or that must be a difficult thing to do? I think honestly, I try to be honest and just explain. I have a small firm. I have to be very careful about how I grow. Mm -hmm. When I take on someone new, I have to make sure that it's a fit on both sides. Mm -hmm. And I have to make sure that I can keep the quality of service with my current clients before I add in that next person. Mm -hmm. And I've been so extremely lucky to just have a lot of really, really great clients that I want to keep, you know, Um, and, and, you know, and they get my first allegiance. And so I'm very careful about who I bring on because I don't want to get too overwhelmed and not be able to do the quality of service that they've been used to. That's just really important to me. Yeah. We are very excited to have a new sponsor at Yorkron. Luxury men's clothing lines Thaddeus and Tad are now combined on one website. They belong to the same family. They share DNA. Might as well have their clothes all in the same place too. Both brands are typically sold at Nordstrom's, Bergdorf's, and unique upscale boutiques. But you can find them online at ThaddeusandTad.com. Thaddeus, the uncle is a collection of sportswear for the man who always arrives well-dressed, but sometimes breaks the rules. Quality fabrics are important, but so are comfort, fit, and details. Some of the pieces are washed and weathered, others more crisp. Thaddeus is designed for the man who is current and comfortable in his own skin. Tad, the younger nephew, is more rugged, more washed and weathered, but willing to learn from the past. Tad is the nephew of Thaddeus, 
sharing the same namesake and DNA, but interpreted for a new generation of sportswear. Tad is more casual, suggesting a more worn-in, easy look. The fit is slightly slimmer and trimmer. Tad fits the mind and body of a man who wants to put his own stamp on the traditions he has inherited. For menswear that is a tad dressy and a tad disheveled, shop online at ThaddeusandTad.com. Talking about social media advertising in general, mm-hmm. small companies, of course, like you mentioned, it's a very inexpensive way to advertise. Yeah. Are there any tips that you can recommend that uh, traps or things like that that people should avoid in uh, seeking out a social media advertising firm? Mm-hmm. You know, basically how to separate the good from the bad. How do you separate the good from the bad? Um, I mean, for me, how I look at anything, it's for me, I follow my intuition. Mm -hmm. Um, when people call me, literally, I always say, you know, we have to have a meeting to talk because I want to make sure that it gels on both sides. You know, um, you can't just like me and I can't just like you, like Mm -hmm. it's got to be, you know, a good connection between the two, because that's, I've always been the most successful when, you know, there are certain things, (laughs) you know, in, in, in line. Um, Gosh, that's a good question. Like, what do you, um, you need to like their philosophy on social. Like I, social is not a set and forget it kind of thing. You know, for me, I love behind the scenes. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like if you're a brand or a person, it's really important that people, that your social gets to the heart of who you are. And there's always a story generally behind whatever service you're providing. So it's about figuring out what, what is the, you know, what is the heart behind what it is that you do for my clients? They have an actual heart, like they're people, you know, they have a professional life. They have a personal life. Maybe they don't want to share their personal life, but there is a personal side to your professional life. Mm -hmm. And most people don't like being marketed to. So it's about, for me, it was like my first film set with my first client and falling in love with the filmmaking process. It was like, why aren't we talking about what's happening here on set and not just promoting promoting posters and marketing material to people. Why aren't we letting them know how hard you guys work when you make this thing? That's the heart to it. So for me, it's about finding someone that is willing to look at the heart of your company because that generally will connect with people more than by my widget. What does your widget do for me? Does it make me cry? Does it make me laugh? Does it, you know, whatever your brand is, figure out what the heart of that is. And then your social campaign should follow because that's what social is. Again, it's about connecting people. It's about evoking an emotion. It's about solving a problem for them. And so I often, when I have, you know, if I ever meet with brands to do anything, I'm like, what problems are you solving? How are you helping people? Because that's the stories that you need to be relaying in your social space to get to the heart of whatever your widget, you know, does so that hopefully people will connect with that and become your evangelist. Yeah. So as an, I'll, I'll use this podcast as an example. So your Chrome subtitle, uh, ordinary people and extraordinary stories. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, kind of like, oh, that's, you know, I'm kind of giving this puzzled look. And I said, well, you know, it's a, a platform for non-celebrities to come on mm-hmm. and tell a story. I think everybody has a yeah. story to tell. And a lot of people said, well, I don't know if my story is extraordinary enough. Well, it may be to somebody else. Right. You know, but it's a story. But then when I say, um, how cool would it be talking about an audio legacy to hear your great grandfather yeah. perhaps tell a story? Yeah. From a hundred years ago, something that happened to your great grandfather, your family mm-hmm. member. How cool would that be? Well, this is an opportunity. Yeah. This is a platform to do that. And I see you smiling too. And that's it gives the me same, goosebumps. Yes. See, that you found the heart of it. That, that, and, and that's, you know, I didn't come up with that. Yeah. One, one of my guests said that he yeah. said, you know, I, I would like to, uh, to come on. And, and that's why. And it gave me goosebumps when yeah. you said that. And I said, <laughs> it's great. okay, so. 
Yeah. I stole that from him. I like it. Well, that's a good one to steal, but you're given credit where credit's due. And I told, I, I think that that's, I think that that's incredible because I don't tell my story because I want people to think, oh my gosh, she's so cool. She's with me. It's not that. I'm just a normal person who had a passion for something and kept going at it until everybody else had a passion for it too, you know, and that's possible in any realm or with any person. And I think that's important for people to understand. Yeah. Yeah. So talking uh, in terms of uh, being a normal person, mm-hmm. can you share with us what a typical work day is like for you or is there, or is there one? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you know, my work days can range from being very boring because I'm just home and in my home office and um, planning out content for clients. We have content that we know needs to go out on certain days because they have brand deals or they have movies coming out or whatever may be going on. And, and so I will work with the studios or work with my clients to get any behind the scenes material that they may have and, mm. and help them come up with the copy that they want to say, or just make sure that they're organized around it. Some clients like to post things themselves, so, but maybe they only like Instagram. So then we'll take whatever they post on Instagram and we'll push it to somewhere else, um, to all their other platforms, to Facebook and to Twitter, to make sure that all of their audience can see what they're doing. Um, sometimes there's a lot of unpredictable, uh, you know, something will happen in a day. It, it could be something really great to something really tragic. Like you don't know what it's going to be because I represent people. And mm-hmm. so we ebb and flow with whatever's going on in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be something politically related. And, and, and I have to be aware of what's politically important to my client and, you know, so that I can highlight and say, okay, well, would you like to address this issue that just happened and, and then help them figure out what's a great social way to be able to do that and not get in trouble mm-hmm. in how they do it because there is a balance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think helping just people to understand how to use their voice, how to consistently use their voice, because you shouldn't just talk to your fans when you have something to sell to them. Like this should be a continual conversation, um, which is sometimes a little bit different from PR from the traditional PR side, because some publicists will come in and out based on if you have particular projects that you have to promote. Social should always be happening. And so that's my job every day, potentially to come up with content, you know, for each, for each client. Um, that literally means I wake up and I roll over and I, you know, have my phone right next to me, you know, so my commute is quite short a lot of days. Um, the more interesting days tend to be when I'm on press tours with clients. And so I will travel to LA, New York. I've gone to, um, to London, to Rome, to, to Macau, you know, to Sydney, it's taken me literally all over the world, which I never envisioned or imagined. Um, and, and I go with my clients as they do interviews for their press tours. I go on their photo shoots with them and I get behind the scenes content that we can share beyond whatever ends up in the magazine. I go to, um, um, South by Southwest to film festivals. I go to their premieres. I, I go visit them on film sets, which is my favorite thing to do in the world. It always has been. And, you know, I have been just pinching myself (laughs) for many years that I never envisioned this. And as I talk to old friends and things like that, and they're just like, they're all following my journey and, and they're very proud of me because I have, I've stepped out on faith, like, you know, with starting my own business and then starting something, the thing I'm other than my children, Mm. the thing that I will probably always be the proudest of in this scenario is that I decided that something was important before anybody, before it even like was a thing. And I kept faith in that. And I was like, you know, everybody else will catch up. It's fine. You know, so I, I just really am proud that, um, I was in the inception, you know, of all this and, and able to form it into whatever I wanted to be, because it gave me, it gave me, I didn't know what the box looked like. Like I didn't come from PR. I didn't come from Hollywood. I didn't know. I just did what made sense. And that thing that made sense actually helped people to achieve things they're trying to do. Like that's the best feeling to know that you helped to create something from the ground up and, and, and it all worked out. <laughs> you you are truly a pioneer, Q, because oh, there, there was no how-to manual no. for what you did. I'm I mean, you just opened your computer and started something that four weeks later, 31,000 people were following. Yeah. And, you know, that's um, truly amazing. Thank you. <laughs> truly amazing. Um, 
Are there any, uh, being in the celebrity world, are yeah. there any stories that uh, you can share? Of course, uh, names re- remain names. <laughs> no names. <laughs> that, uh, just, just kind of stories, uh, funny stories or something that you can share that uh, kind of stand out to you? You know, um, yeah. So there's there's nothing negative that I could share, but of let course. me let me yeah. tell you. Not looking for dirt here. Uh, yeah, at all. right. At all. But yeah. let me tell you some good dirt. Okay, good. So, you know, my kids and I we were impacted by Harvey, mm-hmm. you know, as you know. Yes. And um and we we lost everything. We we lost our house. Um and I tell you what, I have never been more grateful for my career beyond my family and my friends who, you know, of course like helped us. Um my clients so many of them, and it ma- it makes me emotional. Um, they made sure that we were okay, and to think that I started something so long ago as a passion project, and that these people are not only my clients, they're my friends, and they made sure that my kids and I did not have to worry about anything when all of that happened. Just made me obviously even more grateful for the path that I took. It's it's it helped to save us, um, and they did not hesitate to make sure that we were okay. And these are people that, you know, they already pay my bills because they, you know, they, they're, um, you know, they are clients, but beyond that, they went above and beyond and then checking in on us and, and just making sure that we were good. And so it makes me even more grateful that I, you know, picked good people to work with (laughs) that then took care of us when we needed to. So that's on a personal level. My, my clients are my family. That is so so awesome. Mm -hmm. So awesome. Yeah. So what is the vision for Q social media for the next few years? Are, are you a, are you the type of person that likes to look ahead and plan and that kind of um, stuff? Or I used to be big into the five-year plan and the 10-year yeah. plan. Yeah. And I think the one thing that this company has taught me and what I do now has taught me is something that you didn't plan could end up being the best thing you've ever done in your life. And so I, I'm less of a five-year planner now. I, I take it one day at a time. Um, I know that I love what I do. Um, and, and like the current clients that I have right now, I, I couldn't ever see like walking away from that scenario because I love it so much and I love my team so much. So I think in my head, because I am an entrepreneur and because like I loved finding something that people didn't know about yet. And then, you know, taking it, uh, building something out of it. I'm hopeful that I get another one of those ideas. Like that's what I'm hoping for. So it may not necessarily be directly QSM. Um, it's whatever the next thing is that I, that I, maybe I figure out before somebody else figures it out. You know, um, that's really what I'm, what I'm hoping for is the, is that spark, but I definitely want to continue to do this for, I'm not, I haven't burnt out, you know, from it yet. And I work hard. I mean, I work, you're always on, you know, seven days a week. I could two o'clock in the morning, I could get something from someone and I, and, and I am, I'm okay with that because it's still, I'm doing it on my own terms. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I do a lot of consulting and we do, we do tactical very well. So I know I'll probably be doing a lot more strategic as I move forward because there's only a certain amount of tactical clients that I can take on anyway. And so in order to grow, I need to definitely get more into maybe teaching and and strategy. Um, I don't know if you can really teach people intuition. And so that's what I have a hard time. Like people are like, you should write a book or do something. I'm like, I feel like so much of what I do is more intuitive than it is a manual that I could write. Mm -hmm. There are certain things and certain ways to break down things. And yes, go look at this every day to see if there's anything here. Um, But so much of social media, if you do it well, is about understanding people Mm -hmm. and getting to the heart of something. And sometimes you can't really teach that, you know, Um, but so, yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see. (laughs) But you, you know you love that feeling of starting this. Yeah. Just and that would be nice. But like you say, you, you can't you didn't plan for it before. No. So it's just gotta uh, yeah. like an artist. Just I'm more that. open to whatever yeah. the universe brings my way. <laughs> it's so funny to hear you say that because as you know, I'm an entrepreneur as well. And mm-hmm. some of the best things, you know, we were just taught plan, like you said, five year right. plan, all this stuff. And some of the best things 
and worse things right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> were, were not planned at all. Yeah. You know? So uh, I just, uh, I, I plan on brushing my teeth tomorrow morning, but that's about it. Yep. That's all you got. <laughs> <laughs> and depending on the day, that might not happen. Now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, that's the plan. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. <laughs> I know. I try. I try. <laughs> well, this has uh, just been an amazing experience for me. Thank and, you. And I really, yeah, I, I'm so glad you came on and, and we got to uh, connect like this and take the time. And so uh, uh, I know I brought this up a little earlier and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you've heard any of my podcasts previously, but yeah. uh, I do end uh, and like to end this uh, or all the podcasts with this question. If in 100 years from now, mm-hmm. future generations may be listening to this podcast in some audio form, what message do you want to leave for them? What do you want them to, to take away from your experiences, Q? What do I want? Oh my gosh, that's a big one. Let's see. What do I want them to take away? I want them to take away that it's really important to find your passion in life. And then if you find your passion and you're lucky enough to find that, it's really important for you to put the work in behind it. And I truly believe that if you're passionate about something and you're willing to put the work in behind it, that you will be successful. The money will follow. Do not live in other people's fears, because if I did that, I would not be doing what I'm doing today. I would have stayed in my box in the job that you knew had a paycheck, that you knew how much money was coming in every week. And so I've truly learned to not listen to other people's fears when I'm trying to run my own life because that would not make me happy. So finding your passion, being willing to work hard for it and, and don't listen to the outside world any more than you have to. Don't let it crush your passion for something. Keep working hard at it. Yeah, no, I, I usually don't ask a follow up question, it's okay. <laughs> but it, it, it is curious to me when you, when you say don't listen to other mm-hmm. people's fears was there a specific example that comes to mind? Oh yeah. I mean, when I, I left corporate America twice hmm. and both times that I left, because I mean, I'm leaving behind six figure positions. Sure. Like it's not like I'm making just, you know, like I'm doing okay for myself Absolutely. and people are like, wait, I'm sorry. You're leaving behind a steady paycheck to go start your own thing. And then especially when I wanted to focus on the social media side to, to start your own thing that isn't even an established career. That's crazy. You know, I'm like, yeah, it's crazy, but nothing else feels right. And I was so unhappy in this other space and life is short. So I really had to block all that out. And I remember like, you know, talking to people and saying, do not worry about me. I will figure this out. And just knowing, you know, (laughs) that I could say that and then really come forth with that, it made me realize my own power and, yeah. uh, and ability. Yeah. And you just can't be afraid. Like I only have one tattoo yeah. and, and it says, what if you fly? And what that comes from was I saw this graphic that a friend posted and it said, um, what if I fall? And the response was, oh, darling, what if you fly? Mm-hmm. And so it reminds me to always be fearless because it could be the most amazing thing in the world. You can't be afraid of it. You need to do it and fly. I love that. I love that. I'm not a tattoo person, but I can maybe find another place to put that. I really yeah. like that quote. That is very, especially when you can compare it with. Yeah. Yeah. Don't focus on the negative. Right. Focus on the possibilities. The possibilities. Yeah. yeah. Life that, is in the possibilities. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, um, I want to just tell our guests to uh, take advantage of, of uh, uh, and, and you're the first to find out, Q, uh, that uh, we are going to, um, we don't really know exactly how we're going to roll this out. We're going to have it on the Eurocron.com website, along with, also with uh, Q's information with our website and so forth. But uh, we are going to be uh, putting a portal in there for our guests to submit questions. Mm. So for, for um, I'm sorry, for our listeners to submit questions for our guests that have been on the show. Mm-hmm. So um, love to have you back on. Yeah, I love it. Again. And maybe we'll we'll read some questions from the audience. I love that. This was fun. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank you. That was a blast. Yay. (laughs)